The book of Judges covers about 350 years of Israel's history, beginning with the death of Joshua and going all the way into the ministry of uh, Samuel. And it describes an ongoing problem which spans over the whole period of the Judges. And it is this, that the people of God again and again and again rebelled against their God by following the example of the godless people around them and following them in their godless and wicked ways. They were committing the darling sin of the people of God over all of redemptive history, syncretism, the blending of non-Christian religious ideas or practices with the Christian faith. And we see this repetitive and sad pattern. First, sinful rebellion against God, and then retribution, God using their enemies to chastise them. And then as we see it continue, the people of God, after this chastisement, after this pain, crying out to God in repentance. And God finally having mercy, sending a deliverer to restore peace and prosperity again among the people of God. Now this tragic cycle occurs seven times in the book of Judges, with each time Israel falling yet into deeper and deeper apostasy. And yet despite this unfaithfulness, the gracious God of Israel keeps sending them deliverers. In our passage in Judges chapter 9, we read about one of them, Samson, that mighty man of God. And we see the men of Judah, how they respond after Samson had just delivered strong blows to the Philistines and even single-handedly invaded some of their territory. And now the men of Judah were scared to death of the Philistines because of what Samson did. And they tie him up, ready to deliver him, to hand him over to their enemies. 3,000 men had come not to congratulate Samson for delivering the enemies of God's people. No, no, hear what they say. We have come down to bind you, that you may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And hearing these cowardly words, you might ask yourself, why in the world would they come and bind their bravest soldier and hand him over to the enemy? Why in the world would anyone do a, a horrible thing uh, like this? And I think we find our answer in passages like Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. They simply didn't trust their God. And the most tragic thing about this whole ordeal is not what they're actually doing. The saddest part of all of this is that they're absolutely unapologetic about this incredible act of cowardice. They don't even wait for Samson to ask them, Why, brothers, why are you doing this horrible deed? No, they throw it right at him. Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? You see, the Philistines had established themselves in the uh, southwestern corner of Judah. And they were continuously tightening their grip on God's people. I'm sure you are familiar with the background of these events and how God had chosen Samson uh, to lead his people. As it often has been in the history of the world, that one man arises in a desperate situation, and under God this man is destined to be 
a deliverer. And that one individual is raised up to be the leader, to be the mouthpiece of God. One individual in the nation, one individual in the church or failing denomination, one individual in the community. But then the reality often is that instead of all the covenant people rallying around this individual that was raised up by God to be a helper and a deliverer, instead of them coming to his aid and to encouraging him, he just meets the apathy of those who should be his greatest encouragers. Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? My dear friends, this is the ultimate expression of defeatism. This is the ultimate declaration of moral bankruptcy. As if to say they have a right to rule over us. As if to say they are too strong uh, for us. Now, it's easy for us to shake our heads over this despicable act of cowardice. We might even want to pat ourselves on our shoulders because we are not like that. But I say not so fast. Let us first take a look at the spiritual situation of Israel at the time of Samson's birth. Israel had already been through several cycles of apostasy when it says in chapter 13 and verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. Sin, my dear friends, has consequences. And God chose the Philistines as his chosen instrument to chastise his people for 40 years. But here comes the interesting part. Right in the following verses in chapter 13, we are told the circumstances around Samson's birth. And as it says in verse 5, that he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So Israel had most horribly sinned against their God and rebelled against him. And yet God not only sends chastisement, but with it, he also provides a redeemer to redeem his people. God sends a deliverer. Now, who is this deliverer? Who is this Samson? From the beginning of his life, we can see that Samson is a type of person that the church today as well as God's people back then detest to the highest degree among their own. Samson is an extremist. Samson is a black and white kind of person. Samson is a radical. Even before his conception, the angel of the Lord told his mother that he would be different, that he would be a Nazarite. As you might know, the word Nazarite itself expresses separation. The very existence of Nazarites would preach to the people that they had to separate themselves from the nations around them, to separate themselves from the sins of the world. And because of their unwavering, even also outward devotion to God, Nazarites like Samson or later John the Baptist were considered radicals by the people, extremists. You see, some things never change, do they? And Samson became a man of extraordinary zeal and also of enormous physical strength. And as it is so often with great heroes of our faith, he also became a man of great weaknesses in order to remind us that even the strongest heroes of the faith are just men with feet of clay. 
Yes, Samson chose a Philistine wife and pursued her against the warning of his parents. But please also note chapter 14, verse 4, where it says, But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And when the occasion arises, Samson single-handedly strikes the Philistines. And then the Philistines march against Judah in order to arrest Samson and to kill him for what he had done. And then this despicable act of cowardice on the side of the men of Judah happens. 3,000 men, 3,000 men walk against one in order to hand him over to their enemies. Handing over their deliverer to the enemies of the people of God. Knowest thou not, Samson? That the Philistines are rulers over us? Instead of thanking Samson and celebrating his victory, instead of rallying around him to take on the Philistines, they accuse him of disturbing their fake peace under Philistine oppression, under Philistine slavery. And they are ready to hand him, their deliverer, over to the enemy in order to appease them. In order to show the enemy, we're with you, we're obedient, we're not going to rebel against you. We'd rather rebel against our God. The deliverer, beloved, has become the peace offering. In Samson, we undoubtedly see a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Kill the deliverer in order for God's people to continue on in a fake peace and in slavery. And just like our Lord, Samson willingly allows it to happen. Now you might ask yourself, what does this all have to do with us? You have to understand that in so many respects, the contemporary church in the West acts just like the cowardly men of Judah. Far over 60 million abortions in the United States alone since Roe v. Wade, image bearers of God, slaughtered in their mother's womb, the place that should be the safest on the face of the earth. Sexual sin and deviation all around us, even in the pews of our own churches. A demonic and anti-Christian worldview system is seeking to force itself on the whole world to exterminate, as it were, the last remnant of Christianity. And the system is using the unholy trinity of race, class, and gender and other nonsense to put creation order on its head. Our children are being bombarded with evolution, gender ideology, and other nonsense, even in many so-called Christian schools. And the church, my friends, the church for the most part is silent. Preachers, conference speakers, authors are falling over one after the other like domino stones. The church in the West has become so much like the world that one can hardly see the difference anymore. And most pulpits are silent and instead gracing us with therapeutic sermons on how to feel better about ourselves. And even many seemingly very conservative pulpits present us with anemic theological lectures instead of thundering, heart-piercing preaching that mobilizes the troops for battle. 
no hot butt button issues from the pulpit. We're playing it safe. And just like the Philistines handed over Samson, we have handed over large parts of the counsel of God. Because knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? My dear friends, we have handed over already God's law because we consider it too harsh and too demanding for postmodern men. We have handed over our gospel optimism in order to justify our own defeatism. We have handed over the Sabbath day because many in the pew rather watch football than worship the living and true God, and we don't want to take on them. We have handed over biblical worship and replaced it with man-centered entertainment in order for our people to feel good about ourselves. Who wants to worship God for his sake anyway? We have banned the hard truths of Scripture from our pulpits because today's country crop Christians do not appreciate being told how to live their lives. We have pretty much abolished church discipline from many of our churches because it's apparently not the loving thing to do. We have stopped to confront evil in our society and to expose the works of darkness because we're afraid of the consequences. Of course, we're calling it being winsome. We're calling it being wise. We're calling it being loving. But in reality, it is cowardice. It is escapism. What is escapism? Fleeing reality into a dreamland. Fleeing the hard truth of real life into some fantasy. We have become escapists. We seek to escape battle by avoiding the hot-button issues from our pulpits and by focusing on those truths or untruths that neither offend the pew nor the world. And our eleventh commandment and the most important and unviolable commandment is thou shalt not rock the boat. You see, dear friends, our passage is very applicable to our day. The Western church in the 21st century is just like the men of Judah in the days of Judges. But that's not even all. There is one more application. There's one more question we must not miss. How does the church deal with those who do confront the church and the world boldly with all the claims of Christ? How does the world deal with fearless preachers? who, like you are being taught, preach the whole counsel of God, the whole word of God, to the whole of life without fear and without intimidation. i tell you how they deal with them. We shake our holy heads over these unwise fellows, over these troublemakers. We call them unloving, unkind, and unwise we're doing this in order to feel good about our own inactivity and our own fear of confrontation. We hand them over to the enemy by criticizing them and making sure the enemy knows we're not on their side, we're not with them, we don't agree with them. And we scream at them, Knowest thou not that the Philistines rule over us? That, my dear friends, is the cowardice of escapism. Oh, my friends, we today have it exactly as wrong as the man of Judah had it back then. We leave the world unopposed in their ways, and we instead shoot down our own Samsons. All the while we're making sure that the last sinner knows how tolerant we are. But let me tell you something. 
And I hope you'll never forget it. It costs absolutely nothing to be tolerant. It costs nothing to leave the world unopposed in their sin. It costs nothing to be tolerant, but it costs a lot to be a Samson. It costs something to oppose evil and the works of darkness and to expose them. It may cost you your reputation. It may cost you your paycheck. It may cost you the prestigious pulpits. It may cost you your freedom. And it may even cost you your life one day. It costs the greatest of all Samsons, our Lord Jesus Christ. His life when his own people handed him over to the enemy in order for them to kill him, to kill him for our sins, our great Samson, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember who handed him over? Have you ever thought about or meditated about who handed the Lord Jesus Christ over? They were the religious leaders. They were the theologians, the great conference speakers, the authors, the bloggers, the theological elite of the day, all those who are now falling over like domino stones. But you ask, didn't Jesus know? Didn't he understand that the Romans, that Satan, were the rulers over this world? Didn't he understand? Brothers and sisters, they might want to rule over us. They might want to tyrannize us. They might want to conform us to their image on how we should be. But ultimately, and never forget this, the Lord omnipotent reigneth. He sits on the throne. He rules all things. All circumstances come directly from his loving hand. That is one of the greatest beauties of Reformed theology. That we understand that all things that happen come from the hand of the Lord and will contribute to our good and to the good of his church and to the glory of his name. I might disagree on some things with Abraham Kuyper, but he was spot on with the following statement. When principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then battle is your calling and peace has become sin. May we be bold in the pulpit. May we be bold in the pew. May we be bold in the world because the Lord omnipotent reigneth. Amen and amen. Let us pray together. Almighty, most merciful, omnipotent, omniscient, kind and faithful and just God, we thank Thee, O Lord, for Thy Word. And this morning particular, we thank Thee for Samson, as he's a picture to us, how we ought to be when it comes to boldness, when it comes to uncompromisingly defeating the enemies of your people. But more than for this Samson, we thank thee for the greatest of all Samsons, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world, took on a human body and a reasonably human soul, walked without sin in this world, died the death of a sinner for our sakes. He rose again on the third day. He ascended into heaven, and there he intercedes for us day and night. May we walk boldly, knowing that our Lord omnipotent rules. May we walk without fear. Maybe, yes, be wise, but fearless. Oh, Lord, help us to be good servants, faithful, unwavering, and bold for the glory of your name 
and for the blessing of your bride, the Church of Jesus Christ, in whose name we also pray. Amen.